0: Uh, Last Sunday I was talking about fear. And let me tell you something interesting about the word fear is that it has such negative connotations that even when I say fear, you can become uncomfortable. We begin to think, oh no, there's something to be afraid of. There is, there's many things to be afraid of. But you know what I want to say to you? I think fear has a bad name. Fear actually has a bad name because fear actually is very, very, very useful to us. It keeps us from damaging ourselves, from harming ourselves. It keeps us from committing crimes. It it keeps us alive. Historically, it kept us alive in the face of wild animals and wild people who would kill us in invasions. It was very, very useful and it remains very, very useful today. The problem with fear is when fear gets out of control and we begin to fear things that we really shouldn't be afraid of at all. But let me give you an idea of the history of fear. I was reading this little piece um, written by a guy called Richard Swenson. He's a Christian, a Christian. He said this about fear. This is very interesting. He says this. He says, in relation to fear, talking about historically, thousands of years ago, people very quickly realized, he said, that there are two mistakes. Okay? Are you, are you with me? Yeah. There's two mistakes you can make, he says. The first mistake is thinking that a bear was close by when it wasn't. Okay, that was the first mistake. The second mistake was the mistake of thinking that a bear was not close by when it was. He said, the former might cost you a little bit of anxiety, but the latter would cost you your life. I love the way he says this. He says, we evolved to make the first mistake a thousand times before we make the second mistake Once, Are you with me? And so it's very useful to us to know and have the right fear, if you will. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about fear. Again, last week I was talking about how the fear of man is a snare and fear can be quite rational can't it you see sometimes our fears are irrational and sometimes they're quite rational it's very interesting that the things that we can be afraid of very often are we we vastly outmeasure the probabilities of them happen and we look at the possibilities of them happening does anybody here have a fear or an anxiety of flying does anybody here have a fear and anxiety of flying even if you had you wouldn't put your hand up that's okay I understand because you don't want to seem like a coward you see here's the thing I'm going to tell you truthfully it's time Confession is good for the soul. Amen? Amen. I have a little bit of anxiety about flying. I really do. And so what happens is, when I got on a plane, what happens to me is I get on the plane and my brain begins to tell me this. It begins to tell me that I'm about to get into an aluminium tube that's going to be fired across the sky 10 kilometers up at a 1,000 kilometers per hour and if anything goes wrong, and I mean anything goes wrong, Y'all are coming a long way down to Earth. <laughs> so as I go, as I go down the runway, at whatever speed a plane goes to, what speed, speed does a plane go to? We applied it a little bit earlier there. It goes down the runway at say 300 kilometers an hour. It's shooting down the runway, 300 kilometers an hour, an aluminium tube that if I kicked it, I'd make a hole in it. And as it par- barrels down the runway, I begin to pray and I begin to quote Psalm 23. It's true, I do. Elmer says to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm quoting Psalm 23, why? I said, we're traveling at 300 miles an hour in an aluminum tube, of course I'm praying. I'm praying that. So I begin to pray and I begin to think, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. My cup over. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's what I'm quoting as I'm hurtling down the runway at 300 kilometers per hour before I open my eyes and go, oh look there's cork all the way down there. I'm committed now that's for sure. You see, even when they do the safety demonstrations, forgive me, will you indulge me for a moment? Do you know they do the safety demonstration? The pilot says, please pay attention to the cabinet crew. They're going to take you through, through some of the safety details. Uh, please stay. Please give your attention. And my next thing is the favourite. If you're wearing headphones, please take them off. He's not going to hear taking them off. uh, Please, please pay attention to our lovely cabin crew as they take you through the safety measures. And then the and then the cabin crew start doing that. If you put your there are six fire escapes on this plane, okay? Six, six. There's 300 of you on the plane. Six fire escapes, and they're all about that wide, right? And then they say, in the event that this plane has to land suddenly in the middle of the Atlantic make sure you go to the nearest exit. If this plane comes down over the sky from 10 kilometers up, I'm not going to be worried about exits. Everything is a flippin' exit at that stage. And then they say, should we land in water, land in water, underneath your seat is a life jacket. You put it on and you put it over your head and you leave it on you until you leave the plane in the middle of the sea. And then you pull the string and it blows up and we all live happily ever after. And then they say, if it starts to deflate, hallelujah, there's a little pipe that you can blow in. As you bob up and down off the islands of the Azores in the middle of the Atlantic. And then they say, honest, there's a light to attract attention. (laughs) Of what? Sharks. Are you kidding me? We're in the middle of the Atlantic and then some of us start flashing a light and start saying, here, fishy, fishy, fishy. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. (laughs) I'm saying, this is demented. If something goes wrong, we're all going to die. But here's the crazy thing.
1: You'll never see
0: one of those demonstrations again in the same way, will ya? But here's the thing.
1: Welcome to Grace Church. Here's the
0: thing. The probability of that happening are extremely small. Very, 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 very few people come to their bad end in that way. But I'll tell you something crazier. I will careen along the N26 South Ring Road in Cork at 120 kilometers an hour and sometimes slightly faster, but don't tell the guards. And I won't pray the Lord is my shepherd at all. But the chances of being killed on the road in Ireland are significantly multiple times of dying in a plane. But I think, know, I'm grand. I'm in a car. I'm in control. But up in the air, you know, back back in the day, back in the day when you know it was before 9/11, when you know when you fly along, and they'd say, if anybody would like to visit the cabin, you can go up and you can uh, visit the pilots and ask them some questions if you'd like to ask some questions. And then I, I you know, I was always one of the two people who got all the geeks like get you up know, to ask the pilots. So I get up and I get into the cockpit and it's, it's an incredible sight, you're inside in the cockpit. And of course I ask the obvious question. I said, you know, do you ever kind of, do you ever kind of get concerned about crashing? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I don't get concerned about crashing, you know? Do you ever get concerned about crashing? And this, this Dutch guy, he says to me, no, I'm not afraid of that crashing. I'm doing a terrible Dutch accent, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm not afraid of crashing. I said, why not? He says, there's a lot less crazy people up here than there are down there. <laughs> It's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. true. But you see, what fear does, fear deals in the possible, not the probable. It amplifies possibilities and makes them huge, while making probabilities really small. Are you with me? And so what happens is, something that we fear, like if you fear spiders, the minute I said fear spiders, some of the women went, eh, Fear spiders, it's spiders really small. You know, when you think you walk in and there's a spider in your bath and you go, ah, imagine how he
1: feels.
0: (laughs) Fear, the right fear is so important because fear is your friend. If it's the right fear, if it's the fear in the right place for the right situation and for the right purpose. Here is what the book of Proverbs says about fear, the most important The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning point. It's the starting point of wisdom. See, some people think that fear of the Lord is the end of wisdom. It's not. It's the start. When you fear God at the start, that is the beginning of a life. That is blessed by wisdom and God's ways. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And if we don't have that fear in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. Let me flip it over. If we have the fear of God in our hearts and minds and souls. It protects us. It keeps us safe. It does things for us. You see the communist movements. And the atheistic movements of the 20th century in particular, probably starting with Nietzsche, they had this idea. They said, what we need to do is take a scared populace and get rid of the idea of God. Because if we get rid of God, we will get rid of fear. Here's what the writer Richard Reeves (coughs) says about it. He says this, he says, atheism sold the idea that if you liberate people from the belief of God, you will liberate them from fear. But throwing off the fear of God has not made our society happier and less fretful. Quite the opposite. It means that in a culture that is awash with anxiety, fear is increasingly seen as completely negative. He says this, the loss of the fear of God is what has ushered in the age of anxiety. But the fear of God is the antidote to our anxiety. If we fear God, we don't have that anxiety. We don't have that concern. So, you know, Tom Shear just a while ago at the end of the worship, I'd like to ask a similar question. The American Christian writer John Bloom talks about the fear of God, and he talks about what it is that we fear. What do we fear the most? Who do we fear the most? (laughs) This was his conclusion. This is what he wrote. He said, the person to whom we give the most authority to define who we are, what we're worth, what we should do, and how we should do it is the person we fear the most because it is the person whose approval we want most. Whose approval do you want most? Uh, To uh, to quote Paul, do you want God's (laughs) approval or do you want people's approval? We want God's approval. Let me ask you a simple question. Who determines who you are? God decides who you are. He puts you together in your mother's wombs. And no matter how much you feel different to the way God made you are, you are what God made you as. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's that simple. I simply can't understand in a society that's become more and more based on feelings and more and more concerned about people's feelings and our own feelings that we have now let feelings overtake facts it's the truth how is it that a big hairy bearded man can look in the mirror and say i think i'm a woman
1: <laughs>
0: what yeah you, you need to get your eyes checked not your brain checked yes. what what's that about why does that happen because we let our feelings dictate a reality and not the facts of our situation dictate a reality but i have to be honest with you I'm going to be honest with you, please don't be offended, but I was once a man trapped in a woman's body myself. And then I was born. Simple question. Who determines who you are? Who determines what you're worth? Who determines what you should do? And how you should do it? Who is it in your life? Take that question in. Who is that person? Is it a boss? A bad neighbor? A bad friend? A partner in life? A significant other? A fiance? Who is it that determines those things about you? Because that's the person you fear the most. And that is why we look at God's word. And we determine from God's word who we are, what we're worth, what we should do, and how we should do it. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we follow God's wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is the foundation of knowledge. Knowing the Holy One is the foundation of knowledge. I want to look at what Jesus said. Because Jesus had something to say about fear too. Here's what Jesus wrote. He said, dear friends, he said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, easy for you to say, no. His body was killed. Mm-hmm. But he said don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. I mean, can anybody do something worse to you than that? Like you might have a bad boss, but chances are he's not gonna kill ya. Mm-hmm. You might have a bad girlfriend, but chances are she's probably not gonna kill ya. Unless of course you leave the socks on the ground. She <laughs> might kill you dead. He says they cannot do anything more to you after that but I'll tell you whom you should fear Jesus said fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell yes he's the one to fear if you don't know God today be wise fear God he has the power of life and death in his word and in his mouth fear God can I get an amen Amen. but then Jesus says fear God But don't be afraid. What a great, doesn't that seem like a contradiction or something? It's not though, it's a paradox. We fear God and so therefore we're not afraid. He goes on to say this, what is the price of five sparrows? Is it two copper coins? And yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You are more valuable to him than anything else in all creation. You are his highest creation. You are the thing that he made and put at the highest place in manifest physical creation. You are the highest thing that God has created. You are more valuable to him than many sparrows, than many anything else. You are more valuable to him. And let's say, you know, Jesus says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Let you who are bald not be in distress. (laughs) The very hairs on your head are numbered. Imagine you're completely bald. Jesus knew when the last hair fell from your head. He knew when the last hair fell. And you see, we hear nightmares about AI, what AI knows about us. You know, they're kind of like, oh no, AI is going to come and take over the world and we're all going to be kind of living, out and we're all going to be slaves to our masters in AI. No matter what AI knows, it doesn't know as much. It doesn't have all the intelligence of the maker of the universe. Hallelujah. No matter what it knows about you, you know when you're having a chat with your wife or your partner or your friend or your boss or something in your conversation and you for some reason end up talking about lawnmowers. I don't know, maybe I just have really strange conversations and five minutes later you open your phone and there's ads for lawnmowers. They're listening. He's listening. He hears your cry. He hears your prayer. He hears your need. He hears your longing. He hears your pain. Tell him. Tell him. Fear God, but don't be afraid. Can I just say one thing about sparrows? Sparrows are rotten. Yeah, I hate sparrows. See, I've always loved sparrows, right? I know I've always loved sparrows. Like, I've always loved birds, full stop. I edited that and put it up there. Michael said it. He loves them. I, I've, I've always loved birds. I've always loved, And I feed the birds. I feed the sparrows and the starlings in my back garden, right? And so every day, well, almost every day, maybe every second day, I go out and I feed the birds in my garden. I fill up the feeders and I feed the birds. But the queerest thing is going on, right? So I'm doing this for 30 years in the place where I live now. And I go out into the garden and I fill up the feeders and I put up and all the birds come down and they land, right? But then I step back out and I go, ah, it's him, quick, go! And all the birds scatter. And they go, hang on a second, I'm the one who fed you. Like, why why, why are you running away? And I think some people are like that with God. He feeds them. He blesses them. He upholds them. He cares for them, even if they don't know it.
1: And they run away
0: when he comes into their lives. They run away when he appears in their lives. Don't be a frightened sparrow. Fear God. And don't be afraid. Can I get an amen? amen? You see, I want to look at a story in the book of Acts, a short story in the book of Acts, that deals with both the fear of God and the lack of fear of God. It's a story that people don't normally re- reference too much if they can avoid it, because there's a kind of a strange story, and it's a one-off incident in the whole New Testament, but it's there for a purpose. We're going to look at this tale of Ananias and Sapphira, and it's there in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. We're going to look at this story just for a few moments, but I want to lay down the backdrop to it. And that is, you see, when you see Acts chapter 5, there wasn't any five in the original story, in the original writing of the book of Acts. There were no chapter breaks, and so this story would have read straight through. So here's how the story actually comes to its, if you will, it comes to its culmination a little bit further back in Acts chapter 4. Are we ready to hear God's word? Yes. This is what it says. It says this. Hallelujah! All the believers, talking about the book of Acts, the church has just started. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt, uh, uh, and they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Hallelujah. <laughs> the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those who were in need. And they all did it voluntarily. Remember, there was no social welfare. There was no hack scheme. There was no rent supports. There was no disability supports, no sick pay, no social welfare payments, no unemployment assistance, no unemployment benefit, nothing like that. Absolutely, it was the church or bust. And this was the atmosphere of the church. They were full of joy and full of blessing. And it was just, just overflowing and the church was growing and it was booing. And the power of God was in the midst of them. It goes on to say this. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus. And this is what it says. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. He sold a field. He had a field, a parcel of land he had, and he sold the parcel of land, and he gave the money to the apostles. Maybe you have a, a parcel of land that you want to sell and give the money to the church. Can I get an amen? amen. But you see, as the church is going, here here comes, like the, the story's being told, the church is going boom, boom, boom. It's all joy and gladness. And when they sing happy birthday, everybody sings happy birthday. Yeah. You know, it was happy birthday. They were blessing each other. It was just powerful. It was boom, boom, boom. It was come by, ah, oh Lord, come by. The worship sessions were amazing, the preaching was fantastic, and everything was just going from power to strength to strength, and up comes Barnabas, and Barnabas comes up. Now, I think that Barnabas was probably a young, single man at the time, and Barnabas gets up, and, and he gives this money that he, that he that he got from selling the land, and he puts it at the apostles' feet, and all the young, single women in the church went, oh, Barnabas, oh, he's so handsome, <laughs> and he's so generous, oh my goodness. Oh, I wish, Lord he's my Boaz, give him to me, give him to me. And, and Barnabas just does what he does, and the, ch- and the women in the church are like, oh he's such a lovely guy, oh my goodness he's so amazing. Lord he is my husband, I claim him now in Jesus' name. <laughs> he was a great guy. But in the background were some other people who were watching what was happening to Barnabas and what was happening in the church. And happening, how this church was exploding and becoming authoritative. How it was becoming well known. And you know, The scripture records these stories for a purpose. That's the end of chapter 4. Chapter 5 starts with this word. But. But. You see, let me say this to you prophetically. There's a but in everybody's life. Everybody's life has a but. There's always a worm in the apple. There's always a worm in the apple. Because we're humans. We're fallen. We're broken. There's a but in every church. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it, honestly. It's perfect without you, don't join it. Because there's always a but. Nobody is perfect. No person is perfect, no life is perfect, no church is perfect. Can I get an amen? Amen. Only our heavenly Father is perfect, hallelujah. But there was a man named Ananias. Ananias, what a great name, it means grace of God. Oh, Ananias, has gotta be, just has gotta be a good guy. And his wife Sapphira, whose name means beautiful, sold some property. It says this. They brought part of the money to the apostles claiming that it was actually the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. No. He brought part of the money to the apostles, but that wasn't the problem. He claimed that it was the whole amount. He wanted to come across as more generous and more kind than he really was. You see, when people are going, isn't Barnabas great? And nurse is at the back of the room going, yeah, he's marvellous, he's fantastic. <laughs> so we think he's great, like, <laughs> Barnabas is lovely. What he was whispering under his breath, and then he came up with this idea, and he hatched a plan with his wife, with his wife. There was a pair of them in it. As the old saying goes about Adam and Eve, it wasn't the apple on the tree, it was the pear on the ground that were the problem. That was what the problem was. There was a pair of them in it and with his wife's consent she went along with the whole deal sisters if your husband is doing something crooked or dishonest or wrong call him out
1: Amen. Amen. call
0: him out on it don't go along with it don't go well you know i'm supposed to submit to the authority no 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 nice try Call him out on it. Husbands, if your wife is doing something illegal or dishonest, call her out on it. Amen. Amen. Only three people said amen to that. Isn't that amazing? So it's okay for the women. It's okay. It's okay the other way around. But if it's, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay for the women to call out the men, but the men can't call out the women at all. He brought part of the money. With his wife's consent, so the two of them are in on the deal. And the deal was to create a false impression. A false impression that they were better than they were, that they were more generous than they were. No, we'll get to here. Here we go, this is what it says. Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Ooh. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? He let Satan fill his heart. You see, we need to dispel this idea that when you're asleep at night and you're snoring with your mouth open, ah. that the devil can get in or something crazy like that. I actually heard that years ago, that you have to sleep at night with your mouth closed to you open your mouth, the devil can't. I was like, what, really? And then, that's not how you let the devil into your life. If he does, I'm gonna be full of demons. <laughs> that's not how you do it. You let him in by deliberate action Of denying or disregarding God's plan and disregarding God's command. And it says here that he let him in. You see, that's why Paul says don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let him get, don't let him climb into your life. Don't be giving him anything. Live well, and then you won't let the devil into your life. But in this case, Ananias let the devil into his heart and filled his heart. You see, we're all full of something, aren't we? Yeah. We're full of fear, full of anxiety, full of faith, full of hope, full of love, full of courage. Everyone's full of something. Yeah. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Ananias, what were you thinking? You lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. He knows everything. And you lied to him, and you kept back some of the money for yourself. Now you think, oh, it's all about the money. It isn't, because this is what Peter says. He says the property was yours to sell or not sell, just as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. You could have bought a boat. You could have bought a. Uh, you could have bought a BMW. You could have bought a bikini for uh, for Safira. It doesn't matter. It was your money. You can do what you like with it. And if you, had ke- if you had kept the 90 and given the 10, God would have blessed you. And we would have rejoiced with you. Whatever you give, that's why the scripture says, God loves a cheerful giver. And Paul says, if the will is there, the offering is acceptable, no matter how small or how big it is. He says, was all yours? He says, how could you think of a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as I and this heard these words, he fell dead on the floor, and he died. Oh, <laughs> no, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, treat me like a little child. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Imagine going to that meeting. What happened, they went into the meeting. Tom saw somebody, put some money into the box, and said, how much put in the box? Not that Tom has ever done that, just for the record. He says, I put all my wages. And he says, no, you didn't you into the Holy Spirit, and the person drops dead at the offering box. <laughs> Stay away from Tom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who heard about it was
0: terrified. Of course they were terrified! They were going, what did I do with the change? I had my pockets are you?" <laughs> it says then that some of the young men got up, wrapped him up in a sheet and took him out and buried him. So, we're starting a new volunteer group this Sunday. So, we're looking for volunteers to do burials. If anyone is available, just raise your hand now. We'll take your names. It's a whole new volunteer area to give. They picked the body up and they buried him. He dropped dead in the meeting. Holy moly. Moving on. About three hours later, his wife comes in. She knows nothing about all of this. The whole place is like, ah! And she walks in. Can you imagine when she walks into the meeting? The meeting just falls silent. They're all, come by, ah, Lord, oh, let your fire fall. And whatever they're singing, it doesn't matter what they're singing, right? And then and Peter, Peter, Peter asked her, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Oh, but from this, we know now for certain, without doing a DNA test, that Peter was not Irish. Because no Irish person would ask a question like that. No Irish person would ask a, They would say, they would say, listen, Sephira, like, I hope you don't mind my asking. And there's no pressure to answer, okay? Like, I don't want to pry into your life, okay? I really don't. I really don't. Like, that's not what we're like here in this church at all, okay? We never pry. But I just want to ask you, like, just a question, just a small question. Of, like I said, no hashtag, no pressure, no problem. Okay? Like, there's no pressure on this. But would you mind telling me, if you don't mind? I know I feel awful asking, but what, what, was that all? Like, was that, was that like all of the money that you got for the land? Just, just ask it, just ask it. That's how an Irish person would have asked the question. What are we like? <laughs> But actually, when they did the DNA test, it turned out that Peter was German. Sephaleda! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sophia. laughs> Guten Tag! Das <laughs> sind nicht, meine Sister! Was this the price you paid for your land? It's like the old Gestapo-knock-knock knock joke. Knock-knock! Yeah. Who's there? <laughs> we will ask the questions!
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you, Benny. I got that from my German friend, Benny. Was this the price you paid? You and your husband received for the land.
1: <laughs>
0: Do I the price? <laughs> I was watching a Netflix, then I noticed mean, All the German bad guys, they always seem to speak with incredible poetry
1: They're really bad you they all say
0: You have beautiful eyes What a terrible shame it would be for those eyes close to close the air If you do not tell me the truth about what has happened nice. Sapphira, you also will have this pretty face. I've closed you forever. Have you ever noticed that, like the next time you're watching a movie where they're gonna kind of have fake Nazis, they all talk to
1: anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine when he asks her that question? All the church, we're all here, right? So it's like, there's 250 people in the meeting. Actually, there's thousands at the meeting, right? And he says, is this the price that you received? Your land for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. (laughs) Yeah, it's the price. Can you imagine all the people in the church, and now Sapphira's probably, what? All the people in the church went, oh, No! (laughs) Because they know what happened. That was the price. She lied alongside her husband. And in one way she lied alongside her husband and in another way she was about to lie alongside her husband. That's the truth. When we get together to cod, to deceive, when we get together to do this, We will both lie together. Mm. That's the truth of it. Can I bring one last point up? I know I know about this. It strikes me about this. Here's Peter. What What did we realize Peter did last week? Three times he lied and denied that he knew who Jesus was. He lied, I don't even know who the man is, he said. And now, oh, Peter, you're white, and you're the rightful, aren't you? To be asking, uh, did you lie about this? Oh, nice one, Peter. But there's a big difference between murder and manslaughter.
1: Mm.
0: What Peter did in a moment of terror, and a moment of fear, and a moment of anxiety, and a moment of losing his mind and losing his identity for a moment... Is not to be compared with somebody who deliberately sets out to deceive. Not all sin is equal, brothers and sisters. Not all sin is equal. We kind of get in our heads that all sin is equal. No, it is not all equal. It isn't. That is why Jesus said to those who were gathered in Capernaum. He said, if any of you causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and have you thrown into the sea. Not all sin is equal, they premeditated it. It goes on to say this, Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, thinking they're volunteer servers for the day. (laughs) (laughs) And they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. As she lied with him in life, she lies with him in death. And This is what it goes on to say. A great, great fear, Phobos gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. A great fear, not a kind of a, ah, did you hear about that at the meeting? No, a great fear. People began to, oh, this is a serious business. This is a holy God that we're dealing about it. We're singing about it just a few minutes ago. He's not to be messed with. He's not to be trifled with. He's not to be cotted around with. He's not to be lied to. He's not to be tricked. It's a serious business that they were in. And a great fear grips the entire church. And the church closes and that's the end of it. Not a bit of it. The church explodes even further because this great fear has come upon the church I love it the reputation of the church goes from a church where people are raised from the dead to a church where people drop dead drop dead and then of course the word gets out into the society around them the headline in the Jerusalem post the following morning couple cut down and cult community And then on Facebook and on Israelgram, the thing explodes all over social media. And within a week, there's a podcast, the Drop Dead Donation Podcast. And 10 million people listen to it in the first two weeks. Word spreads like wildfire because that's exactly what God intended because people weren't taking it seriously. Ananias and Sapphira are the only people who recorded in the New Testament to have, been, to have dropped dead like this. They're not the only people in the Bible you need to read in the Old Testament, that's another day's work. The whole point was, they didn't fear God.
1: Yeah.
0: When we fear God, we live longer. Can amen? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in them, the proverb was fulfilled. Fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now I know you may think of good people who died young, and that does happen. There is the possibility that good Christian people die young, outside of their time, and it's horrible to see. It's very rare, but it's horrible to see. But the reality is, in all probability, that people who fear God and live in light of what his word says how we should live and how we should treat others will have a longer life full stop. In fact the research is already in I don't need to do the research the research is already in. The United Nations have done the research about longevity people of faith live longer than anyone else people who fear God people who believe in God have longer lives have longer and are healthier for longer in their lives than people who don't have a faith and who don't believe in God. That's the facts. Statistics have proven it. The fear of the Lord will prolong your life. It'll prolong your life. It'll prolong your life. It'll stop you from making decisions that will destroy you. It will help you break the addictions that are destroying your body, destroying your mind and destroying your soul. It'll help you to get away from relationships that are ruining you, that are ruining you. You know what? The fear of the Lord is a blessed thing. Can I get an amen? Amen. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Because we live in a culture that doesn't fear God. And we can become afraid of the crowd. Here's what G.K. Chesterton wrote. He said this. He said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. When man's terrors scare you and turn your mind, he says, to the wrath of God. When man's terrors scare you, turn your mind to what God can do. Whoever it is, remember at the start, whoever it is determines who you are, what you're worth, what you should do, and how you should do it. If it is anyone other than God, you're heading for trouble. That's the plain truth of it. And lovely, it says, one, cure fears an, uh, one fear cures another. Imagine you have social anxiety. It's very, very, very common. Lots of people have it. Imagine you suffer a little bit of social anxiety. You're uncomfortable in a crowded room. And you're sitting in, you come into this crowded room this morning. You know, there's 250, you know 280 people inside there. And sitting in this crowded room, and you're kind of a little bit socially anxi- anxious, and you're not 100% sure what to do with yourself. And you're kind of afraid. And then somebody opens this fire escape door, and in. Walks a lion roaring and running across the room. Do you know what would happen? You'd figure out your social anxiety straight away. <laughs> All of a sudden, you wouldn't be worried about who you get in the way of or who you connect with. You're out of that room as fast as you can because one cure fears another. We need to look to the Lord as our determiner of who we are and what we should do. That's what we need to do. We need to look to the Lord to determine what we are worth. Don't let social media tell you what you're worth. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't let the economy tell you what you're worth. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't let a broken relationship with a parent tell you what you're worth. Don't let that happen. Don't let a bad relationship, a bad neighbor, a bad job situation determine your future. Fear God and don't be afraid. Can I get an amen? Amen. Am I making sense? Here's what the prophet Isaiah writes. He says, don't be afraid, speaking for the Lord, for I am with you. Don't tremble with fear before people because I am your God. I will make you strong as I protect you with my arm and give you victories. Do you need a victory today? Look to the one who gives victories today. Can I get an amen? Look to the one who can give victories today. And don't be afraid and don't be terrified as you go into the week that's to come, no matter what you have to face, whether it's a doctor, a boss, a bad neighbor, a bad situation, a bad relationship, maybe it's a bad mental state. Don't be afraid. Fear God and don't be afraid. Fear God. Do what God says you should do. Do it the way that God says you should do it. Love others, love your neighbor, love God, Shin A, and then you are living in the fear of God and you need not be afraid. Hallelujah. John writing to the early Christians said perfect love casts out fear perfect love casts out fear and it's a double-sided thing because this is what it said because when John is writing he's talking about the love of God which is the highest example of perfect love and then he says our response to that is also perfect love so that combination of our perfect love when we love God and we love others when we combine that with the love of God it casts out fear and that's why Paul was able to write this to the Roman Christians. Lads, maybe the worship band will come up. We're gonna sing and we're gonna pray in just a moment. This is why Paul was able to write this to the early Christians in Rome who were persecuted, who were in trouble, who found themselves in hot water with the emperor and with the authorities who found themselves financially cut off who found found their businesses being closed down who found their neighbors and their relatives being arrested and being thrown out of the city because they were Christians here's what he writes, he says this I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love can I get an amen? Amen. stand with me as we read on he says neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love, hallelujah, hallelujah. It will not separate you from God's love. No matter what it is, trust God, fear God, and don't be afraid. He goes on to say there's no power in the sky above. Can I get an amen? amen? Not in the earth below, Referring to the spirits, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah.